Welcome to Aging Better in Uncertain Times. I'm Gord Martineau, in studio, alongside Dr. Fabio Varlese. Here, we help you keep informed and up-to-date on the latest in science, medicine, and technology that helps us all age better in these uncertain times. In Canada, there is a, it's a federal regulated body that makes sure that the prices of drugs uh, are, are manageable for the system. So they place a ceiling on prices. Uh, in a global industry, companies really need a, at least a viable sort of business model to work with. And the regulations that this body is bringing into play in just a few months, January 1st, are so extreme that there is already an impact on medicines coming to Canada, the most innovative medicines, and certainly on clinical trials, which are often the last hope for patients to gain some quality of life or a longer life. Aging Better in Uncertain Times, brought to you by L'Oreal, Runnymede Health, La Roche-Posay, Vichy, Avicana, and Sanofi Pasteur, in part through an educational grant and Juul 88.5. Thanks for joining us on our weekly guide into living better, healthier lives so that we can all experience aging better in these uncertain times. Throughout this series, we're going to examine the best ways to prepare ourselves for the future. What's the best advice for our overall health? We're going to look at every aspect affecting your life, and that means physical, mental, financial, nutritional, and medical. We'll cover all the bases. To do that, we'll supply you with high-value information from the leading experts in each field. And by that, I don't mean just everyday opinions. We'll be introducing you to the leading experts in each field, men and women who have studied, worked, and who teach at the highest levels. You have questions, we have the answers. Today, we're talking health and innovative technology with medical consultant Mike Boivin, along with Alex Mihalidis, the scientific director of AgeWell, Canada's technology and aging network, as well as Pamela Freilich, president of Innovative Medicines Canada. I'll begin with my pal, Dr. Fabio Varlesi, the chief of staff and vice president of medical affairs at Runnymede Hospital, also the former medical program director for acute care geriatrics at Baycrest Hospital and the assistant professor of the Faculty of Medicine, University of Toronto, Internal Medicine and Geriatric Medicine. Uh, Fabio, it's good to have you with us today. And, and you're looking forward to the discussion because it involves the people you care about every day. For sure. We've been talking about COVID-19 today, to some extent, and the importance of getting a flu shot. And the two go hand in hand. While everyone is focused on COVID-19, they have to bear in mind that it is extremely important to get a health care uh, or to get a, a flu shot at this time of year. And there are reasons for that. Absolutely. Um, so uh, this talk, obviously, is about uh, technologies in medicine, innovative technologies and uh, more than ever, uh, I'm sure we'll probably hit on uh, creating a new vaccine for COVID. But even before that, um, it is crucial for the entire community to listen to the medical community and follow through on this very important recommendation, which is to get your flu shot to protect yourself this year more than any other year as uh, the pandemic will create uh, potentially a state of, you know, confusion at times and with the risk of um, causing uh, hospitals to be inundated by patients, we can take our health uh, in our own hands and we can make a difference. We can, you know, avoid uh, the hospitals if we make the right decisions and vaccine is definitely 
the way to go. Certainly the flu shot for now and hopefully soon a COVID-19 vaccine. Sure, because hospitals are already under strain. We don't want to overburden them with people suffering from the flu. If you get a flu shot, you can avoid that and avoid the extra strain on the healthcare system. Pam Freilich, uh, in your experience, is it difficult to convince people who are in their later years the importance of getting a flu shot? And do you have to kind of navigate around the suspicions of, of that they might have about should I even go to get a flu shot? Well, it's not uh, something that the association I represent takes on, but certainly we read a lot and that that vaccine hesitancy that you're uh, talking about is something we're very, very concerned about. It's a big enough hurdle, if you will, to um, for our member companies to come up with the vaccines themselves, with the treatments, with the diagnostics. As you know, it's, it's uh, all pistons firing on that particular search. But the notion that people may not wish to use the the vaccine in the end is a is a huge concern across our members. So uh, we're certainly taking a look at what we can do, what role we might play in terms of education and, and encouragement. And perhaps the most important one is the safety. Uh, there's been a lot of talk of safety of vaccines, and mm-hmm. that may be a, a part of the reason behind the vaccine hesitancy. Uh, our members have signed pledges, have been very, very public that they are not cutting corners, they're cutting time. We have accomplished so much in our lives, and mainly because of the advent of technology and the continuing improvements it has provided in our lives, Pam. So when you talk about innovative uh, and and improving uh, Canadians' health through innovative medicines, what specifically are your concerns? The, I think that the biggest concern is, um, is really access to the innovative medicines. I mean, the, the companies that I work with, that is their, their lifeblood, that is their passion to come up with the best possible medicines, vaccines, diagnostics for all Canadians. Uh, but there are certainly some, uh, some challenges to that. So that's the biggest concern, I would say, of our members. The uh, vaccine hesitancy we just talked about, the yep. misinformation. Sorry, sounds like you want to jump in there. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm disagreeing with you that, you know, it's hard to convince people to, to, to even get out of the house and go and get a flu shot because many of them are worried that, you know, is it safe to do so? Yeah, ag- agreed. And uh, I mean, I think we're all experiencing that. Uh, I don't know if you can call it a new normal, but it is a concern right across the board. Uh, what we want to do is certainly from the perspective of the companies I represent is make sure that they know that the products are safe and efficacious and they're going to help us. We're not going to get back to even a, whatever a new normal might be or the next phase of, of life until we mm-hmm. uh, get a vaccine. Right. Uh, hopefully the treatments will be there as well. So if we do get sick, we'll, we'll get, get well and get well faster. Uh, but without a vaccine, we're really stuck. So uh, we need to all, all of us on this call and beyond and all of our listeners need to get beyond that hesitancy and, uh, and get vaccinated. Let's bring in Alex Mihalidis. And uh, Alex, you are the scientific director and CEO of AgeWell, uh, Canada's technology and aging network. Uh, what kind of innovations are you looking at and how is technology making life easier for people? Yeah, so our network, which is across the country, um, is looking at anything from apps that can support seniors um, with a variety of activities new technologies to help uh, with social isolation and connectedness um, to anything that we're looking down in the future as well, such as robots and smart homes that can support uh, older people and their caregivers to remain as independent as possible in their own homes and communities. 
Okay, uh, Pam, in Canada, we have a tendency to take access to innovative new medicines for granted, but um, there are uh, potentially some challenges that Canadians should be aware of when it comes to access to new medicines or treatments of the future. And I guess the idea is getting the message across. Is that one of your challenges? Well, it, it is one of the challenges, but I, I would say, first of all, and, and uh, you know, I've spent my life in the health system. Uh, I'm, I'm relatively new to the industry side of it. It's a very complex system. Uh, and I certainly didn't understand it and, and still struggle day to day. The general public isn't going to. But, but one thing I would like to mention uh, is that uh, in Canada, there is a, it's a federal regulated body that makes sure that the prices of drugs uh, are, are manageable for the system. So they place a ceiling on prices. And this may seem like a real stretch from where we're going, but in a global industry, uh, companies really need a, at least a viable a sort of business model to work with. And the regulations that this body is bringing into play in just a few months, January 1st, are so extreme that uh, there is already an impact on um, medicines coming to Canada, the most innovative medicines, and certainly on clinical trials, which are often the last hope for patients to, uh, uh, to gain some quality of life or a longer life. So we're seeing the data showing that um, these medicines, again, the best, the most innovative medicines are already not coming because of these particular uh, extreme in, uh, regulations, I should say, about to come into play. You'll see uh, patient groups being very, very active with government expressing the same concerns. And what we want to do is urge uh, government to take a more balanced approach. It's just not fair to Canadians uh, to have perhaps uh, the lowest prices going. And we certainly understand the sustainability of the health system, but we need to balance that pricing issue with the value that medicines and vaccines are bringing to Canadians. So that is a huge issue uh, very much on our, uh, on our horizon. So this is a day-to-day -day frustration for you, getting the government to see the light, right? <laughs> Well, it, it, it is. Uh, again, we appreciate that their focus uh, within Health Canada in particular is on the absolute cost of drugs, uh, the sustainability piece, but not necessarily, frankly, on the value, the value to the health system, the value to Canadians. Uh, and uh, we have reached out multiple times as an industry to see if we can find a better way forward. Uh, we continue to do that. Uh, we, uh, we have requests in even as we speak. And hopefully there will be that opportunity for dialogue to find a better way forward. Canadians do deserve uh, better than what they're going to end up getting on January 1st. Alex, in your work, you're looking at technology and how that can make things simpler and easier and more progressive. Are there things on the horizon you're particularly looking at that we can know about that, that you know, we can look forward to in terms of living our daily lives? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, just in recent years, there's been uh, such strides made in areas such as artificial intelligence and and different types of sensors that can help and support us as, as we grow older in our own communities. So, you know, for example, you know, we have technologies that are being built that can actually predict changes in people's health before those changes actually occur so that we can have the right interventions. We can predict older people who may develop cognitive impairment just based on simple motion patterns of what they're doing within their own homes. And so, you can imagine these technologies are, are not diagnosing these things, but can be really, really powerful um, in terms of helping uh, older people and their families and their caregivers maybe to raise an alert to go see their family physicians or, um, or, or anyone else on their health team in order to have interventions put in place before they get too far down the path.
So historically older people are somewhat mistrustful or suspicious of technology because a lot of it they don't understand. Is that one of the problems you have in convincing people that this is a good way to go when you talk to them? Um, the problem actually is convincing everyone else except older adults we're finding. You know, our research has actually been discovering that older people are actually not as technophobic as we all think. Mm. You know, there's actually quite a high adoption rate in terms of things like smartphones and tablets and other technologies. And, you know, we did a couple of polls of about a thousand seniors last year and then repeated it this year to look at the impacts of, of COVID-19, for example. And what we actually found are older people or twice the number of older people are actually using now their smartphones for things like video conferencing or order things online. And when you dig a bit deeper into that data, 60% of the seniors that were polled are saying that that increases because of the pandemic. And no so, kidding. That is really interesting to hear. And it's kind of encouraging because, you know, we have a tendency to say, oh, older people, they don't really understand. So they kind of get written off. But in your experience, they're far more uh, active and interactive than y the younger generation. Absolutely. And, and the thing we need to keep in mind is we're going to see a, a different cohort of older adults coming up very soon. Um, with the baby boomers aging, obviously, they're already connected for the most part. Um, and they're going to have an expectation that technology is going to be part of not their day, just their daily lives, but in terms of their health care as well. Well, on the subject of newness, let's bring in uh, Mike Boivin, the CEO of ComFarm Consulting. And Mike, you have some knowledge about, uh, you know, we were talking about things that are new and interesting, a new shingles vaccine that has been available uh, for the last couple of years that not a lot of people are vastly aware of. Oh, th thanks so much for having me. First and foremost, um, Shingrix, or sh this new shingles vaccine, is um, one of the most exciting vaccines that we've seen in the last little bit. When we look at vaccines, they're not 100% effective all the time, but this one is pretty close to over 90 to 95% effective if the people get the two overall doses. So if you get those two doses, it's unlikely that you'll have shingles. And some key facts that, that people need to know is that if you're lucky enough to live long enough, one in three of us will end up getting shingles. And even if you get it, a lot of our older people that end up developing this condition uh, can end up having chronic pain associated with it. It just doesn't seem to be going away. So it's a real opportunity. It's it's two doses, and it would really make a big difference in so preventing uh, this so infection. So it's, it's a prophylactic procedure then? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's recommended for people 50 years of age and older. Um, any one of us that are 50 years of age and older can get those two shots. Um, by doing this one, it looks like it's going to be a longer term immunity. We don't know because it's a relatively new vaccine. But if you end up doing this, it's unlikely that you'll ever get shingles. And, and it's a horrific condition if you end up developing and it. And there's a cost factor involved, too. Is that substantial? I mean, is it is it something that that seniors can easily afford? That's always a good question. So I think it's all relative. So I'm from a healthcare and a health prevention standpoint, I look at it and I always share my personal stories. I developed shingles about five years ago. Yeah. And if you would have told me how much would could I have paid to avoid the pain that I experienced for four weeks, would I have paid $100, $200, $500? It really depends on that individual person. Currently, the dosing, it's going to take two doses is anywhere from $150 to $200, depending on the province that the individual is in. So it can vary. Um, but once those two shots are done, it's unlikely they'll probably need to get more doses after that fact. Okay, back to the issue of money. And Pamela, do you have um, a, an ongoing dialogue with government agencies or people in a position uh, of controlling the funding that you require uh, to move ahead with your work? Is, is that something that happens, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? How often? 
Sorry, yes, it, uh, it certainly does on a daily basis with our members, uh, not so much at the association that I represent. Uh, there are multiple players involved in making sure that these innovative medicines do get to Canadians. So as I mentioned earlier, the federal government sets regulations in place that have to do with ceiling prices. Uh, the provinces get together, they do bulk purchasing to make sure again, Canadians get even a, a better price for their, their medicines. And these are day in day out negotiations that uh, that occur. So it's, uh, it's very much a, a, a active um, line of, of activity for sure. I mean, we understand the government involvement because they, after all, are the one providing the funding, but are they an, an actual impediment to getting the positive work done? Well, um, can I give you a, a, sure. a dual answer? I, yeah. <laughs> because I, I've talked already and I will cite again, of course, the regulations that uh, this is a patented medicine prices review board um, that has been around for about 30 years. They're bringing in new regulations that will be extreme and they just the fact they've been already passed about a year ago, they'll be implemented in, in January. We've already seen a 47% decrease in new products coming to Canada mm -hmm. and a 44% uh, decrease in clinical trials. So that's definitely a concern that's already happening. And those are Health Canada data, by the way, not industry data. Right. But I, I do want to cite, though, that the um, COVID-19 has presented massive uh, opportunities, dare I use that overused word, unprecedented opportunities for collaboration. We've never seen companies working together, companies with government, with researchers, research institutions. That is why we are seeing vaccines moving into phase three and people talking already about vaccines being ready by end of year, next year, uh, first quarter, that that sort of thing. That could not have happened without collaboration. And that means governments as well. Uh, so my hope, in fact, is that we learn from this, that we can do this. We can get these amazing, miraculous, innovative medicines done sooner when we choose to, when we want to, when we need to. And let's work together in a, in a more collegial way than we have perhaps in the past. Let's get beyond these, these tensions that are quite extreme. Uh, there's always going to be a bit of tension between industry and government. That's a natural thing, but we need to get to a better balance, not only in, in that piece, but also in the, the value versus cost discussion. It's encouraging to hear that, you know, that things are moving forward, maybe at a snail's pace or glacial pace, but, but still the, the innovation and the improvements are coming. And, and Dr. Varlese, you encountered this kind of thing when you talk to your, your patients. I mean, a lot of them express well, gee, why can't I have this or that vaccine? Or what should I do in terms of immunology? I mean, you have these speeches and, and these sessions with your patients every day. Uh, we certainly do. Um, I would say that uh, for the medical community in general, for doctors, it is exciting to hear about the innovative technologies uh, that are in, in, mm -hmm. in the pipeline coming through because we really care about uh, aging well at home. And in order to make that happen, uh, whether it is receiving your vaccinations, whether it's industry that is desperately working uh, to uh, achieve, you know, the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, whether it's accessing important vaccines that will determine quality of life, like the, the Shingrix for um, uh, shingles. Um, um, we are particularly um, paying attention to uh, some of the great work and the technologies that are uh, coming to the surface where the aging population could probably end up staying at home for longer. 
This is about quality of life of a patient and uh, being able to live in the comfort of their home but safely mm -hmm. is is a big uh, deal. And uh, um, these technologies will keep them safe with um, the ability to monitor their, their state of health uh, at a distance remotely. And um, uh, for example, even um, sort of like uh, one technology that I come across in the recent uh, year is uh, being able to uh, find out if a patient fell uh, in their own home and uh, uh, there's technology applied to your own clothing and you know it'll it'll pick up whether or not there was a fall and many times in the emergency rooms we receive patients who come a day or two later in the eMERGE with acute uh, kidney damage, uh, se severe dehydration, delirium, and, and maybe a, a deep venous thrombosis because they were lying on the ground for like two days. And, and now uh, the, the future is hopeful because some of these technologies will help us uh, monitor our patients while they live safely at home. And it gets back to the the issue of information. If information is king when it comes to treating patients. And and Alex, you know that as well as anyone else when you're dealing about new new methods of technology. Information is where it's at, where you're concerned. Oh, exactly. You know, and it's amazing the, the amount and the kind of data we can now collect uh, using very, very simple, inexpensive sensors and devices that you know, typically are available at your at your usual big box electronic shop. And, you know, using these data, not only can we detect falls, but we can all start to predict who may be at risk of falling uh, before it happens. Because obviously, you know, we want to prevent that. And, and uh, you know, the data that we can collect right now, sometimes, you know, the amount is, is so large. We as a community in the area of technology and aging really need to do a better job to understand what we can do with that data and work very closely with our clinicians and our health providers to understand how they want to use that data as well. And back to information again, and, and that is about the vaccines that a lot of seniors should have. And Mike, pneumococcal vaccines, how important are they uh, to older adults and how do you convince them to get it? So pneumococcal is a big concern for me because we're worried about COVID as a respiratory disorder for a lot of these patients and with influenza circulating. Mm -hmm. We want to keep people out of the hospital. We want to reduce their risk of pneumonia. So there's two type of pneumococcal vaccines, one of them um, that can prevent pneumonia, one of them that can prevent a condition called invasive pneumococcal disease, which is uh, basically bacteria going around the body and causing meningitis. Both of these are recommended for, for people over the age of 65, um, especially if you have underlying health conditions such as diabetes, heart disease, liver disease, or chronic kidney disease. So these are ones that I commonly encourage for, for patients that are over the age of 65. Right. All right. Pamela, what is the number one thing uh, you would like to accomplish? I mean, we've talked about the availability of certain medicines and, and technology, et cetera. Is there something else on the agenda that you would like to see done to move forward? You're talking specifically COVID-19? Anything, really. <laughs> well, uh, all roads lead to PMPRB, the Patent Medicine Prices Review Board. Right. I, I just would like to have a better uh, dialogue between industry and government uh, on, on regulatory issues. Um, just as we have been so successful with on the COVID-19 front, uh, regular, sometimes daily conversations with government, all of us uh, accelerating access to these good medicines. Uh, and so uh, to me, if we were able to carry some of that forward beyond COVID-19, because there will be a beyond COVID-19 and have a healthier uh, relationship, I think that would be my number one.
It, is it a two-pronged effort, if I, you know, the way I'm observing it is that you would like to see things getting done? And Big Pharma, are they just as anxious as you are uh, to get these, you know, to, to revise the agenda of availability? I speak for Big Pharma. I represent them. And uh, okay. so my message is their message. Uh, absolutely, there is a desire to, to be a better player, a stronger player, put it that way. It's not better, it's stronger. This is a global industry, Big Pharma, if you wish to, to call it that. Uh, and there are so many examples of good relationships productive relationships, ones that save billions of dollars for governments uh, in other countries. Uh, we've drawn upon those. We've put proposals forward, uh, made requests. The provinces are very open to us, by the way. I'm talking mainly the, the federal government, and they all have different areas of responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, we have had some really uh, good dialogue with the provincial governments, particularly here in Ontario um, and Quebec as well. I could cite others. Uh, but uh, we need to just have that that type of open dialogue. Let's take advantage of what we know in this industry and bring it to Canada. And and Alex, in, in your technological background, I mean, we're talking about, you know, a segment of society that is the fastest growing in the world, and that is people 65 years of age or older. And, and you know, you look beyond that, and people over the age of 80 will triple in number to something like uh, 420 million people by the year 2050. So the need and, and the urgency of what you're doing is getting multiplied by the day. Alex? To, lay, to layer on top of those stats, you know, there's also a, a decrease in the number of people who can provide care right. um, in terms of family caregivers. And we're also seeing a change in the family unit where it's not unheard of that, you know, your elderly parents are living in Toronto while you're living in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, technology can fill that gap, right? And that's, that's really what we're focusing on. Well, thank you very much to uh, everyone for taking part today, Mike, Alex, and uh, Pamela, and Dr. Varlesi. Uh, we've enjoyed the experience. Thank you for your expertise and, and your opinions and suggestions as to how we can move ahead in our society with senior citizens. And uh, good luck to all of you, and thanks for taking part today. And for everyone out there who's thinking, should I or shouldn't I, yes, you do need to get a flu shot. Please go to myfluShot.ca. Thanks, everyone. Some final thoughts now with Dr. Varlese's prescription to aging better. So technology, very encouraging to hear that older people know what they're doing. Yes, they do. Um, I'm always surprised uh, every time I have uh, the pleasure uh, of seeing my own patients uh, in my day-to-day -day, that they are in tune with technology. Uh, they carry their own devices. They get their own information through uh, uh, these devices. Um, clearly, it becomes a bit different when um, cognitive issues start uh, kicking in and companies that are uh, focused on developing innovative technologies factor the changes that happen with aging also and um, but we are excited as a medical community about some of these technologies because we realize that an aging population um, has great quality of life when they get to stay home and but live safely. Uh, these technologies uh, today are seem to be um, connecting our patients with us and um, in fact we can monitor uh, falls, we could monitor all sorts of medical conditions 
that um, can affect their own uh, health and sometimes could prevent uh, trips to the emergency room. We always try to minimize those trips uh, because it does affect uh, their outcomes uh, in the future. So overall, information is hugely important and we're glad to have it. Oh, absolutely. Questions about Aging Better can be emailed to info at agingbetter.ca or by visiting our website at agingbetter.ca. Aging Better in Uncertain Times, brought to you by L'Oreal, Runnymede Health, La Roche-Posay, Vichy, Avicana, and Sanofi Pasteur, in part through an educational grant and Jewel 88.5. Be sure to drop in for your next doctor's visit on Jewel 88.5, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. or at Jewel885.com. Until next time, I'm Gord Martineau with Dr. Fabio Varlese, along with producers Dominic Shulo and David Sirsta. Be well and stay safe. <laughs>